Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast, the show empowering and educating people on how they can grow, manage, and protect their wealth through real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Bailey Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Kramer, and today we are joined by our very special guest, Blake Daly, to talk about Airbnbs. Blake is a buy and hold real estate investor who has 11 properties that are a mix of short-term and long-term rentals and that he has acquired mostly executing the burst strategy. He now focuses on investing in multifamily apartments with his team, Growth View Properties, who utilize the same burst strategy, but with 100 unit apartment complexes and also donate a percentage of all their profits to various charities like those supporting homeless veterans and ending human trafficking. He is also an active duty Air Force contracting officer. Welcome to the show, Blake. Hey, hey Bailey. Thanks for having me. Happy to be yeah, here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to have you on. And the Airbnb and the birth strategy combined is a super unique yeah. topic and something that we haven't covered on the show. So super excited to jump into that. But before we do, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got into this real estate thing? Yeah. So uh, with me, my first purchase was actually uh, a house hack that I started with Airbnb. We had a attached mother-in-law suite, whatever you want to call it with a, you know, full bathroom, bedroom, kitchenette. So we lived in the main house and then rented out that second unit with Airbnb. And it really wasn't ever like the uh, main intent, right? We always thought, my wife and I were like, we're going to buy a duplex or a fourplex and house hack it. Um, but I was somewhere in Italy over the, over the summer before we got here and I saw this house pop up and I was like, let's put in the offer. Cause I see that extra unit. So everybody else kind of thought it was a, a single family, but nobody saw the, you know, the extra unit. So We got a good deal on it. Uh, purchased it with, with a VA loan. So zero down, got the thing rented out after putting like $2,500 in to furnish it. Um, and never paid a mortgage payment on that house. And now we've since moved out and it's renting out both units and it's a, a big time cash flow property. Um, since then, we have done a few wholesales, uh, one flip, a few other burrs. Uh, started out doing them with partners and then my wife and I started doing them ourselves. So we just wrapped up um, really three burrs, all like five units worth of, of rehabs that we got done. Um, and now looking to, uh, all the commercial multifamily. So that's kind of been my progression and all this has happened over, over the last year. So it's been exciting and, um, frustrating at times, but, but fun to see it grow and build. Yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. The, the transformation from that first property to kind of where you're scaling now, which is awesome. So you mentioned the word burr, the burr strategy a few times. Can you go mm -hmm. ahead and kind of explain what that means for the listeners? Yeah, so Burr is uh, what Brandon Turner with Bigger Pockets coined, but it stands for buy, rehab, um, rent, refinance, and repeat. So basically, you buy an ugly property, one that's, that's underperforming, rehab it, make it nice again, add, add the value to it to create the equity, get it rented out with tenants, refinance to get your, your cash back, hopefully. Um, and then the last R is repeat. So you have your money back and then you go do it again. So it's just, it's basically a way to, to recycle your money into multiple deals and really get velocity and, uh, and do more deals faster. Right. Right. That's awesome. And a lot of people that I've spoken to use that strategy where instead of just flipping the property where they sell it at the end, 
they just refinance it to get the equity out. And then they, they hold on to that property for usually long-term rentals. But what's something unique that, that you're doing is you're using the birth strategy and then going with the Airbnb at the end. So kind of, can you walk us through why you chose Airbnb, what attracts you to Airbnb and, and yeah. Yeah. So for me, with the Airbnb properties, we can get like three times the income. So that that's a huge perk right there. Yes, it's a little bit more management intensive, but we've recently shifted to having property management in place. So I'm not managing guests. I'm not doing cleans or, or anything like that. So that that's helped out a lot. Um, but with Airbnb, you you really get to maximize your income. And me, I'm in, I'm in Panama City, Florida. So more of a vacation rental market where Airbnbs are more proven and there's a little bit more demand, especially during the summer. Um, but a little, a little nuance is Panama City Beach is separate from Panama City. So I'm in Panama City where we're kind of more of a normal market. We have uh, the Air Force Base, the Navy Base that's not far away. Um, more big employers where the beach is all vacationers. You don't really have anybody in the winter months and the slow season. And here we can still fill those winter months. So I kind of just figured it out by doing it right. I didn't know, you know, other than staying in Airbnbs because my wife and I, we had stayed in, you know, those extra units that people had in their basement or whatever it was when we would vacation. So we, we knew the model could work, but we figured it out by doing, you know, how, how the numbers worked, how the operation worked. And, because of that, we, we found another property that was like six blocks away from our house. It was the same setup, a main house with a detached uh, guest suite. And this one had a pool. So I, know this, I knew this one would draw in a, a good swath of guests and you know, have consistent demand. So we did the same model on that. We did the rehab ourselves. Uh, got Airbnb renters in there after, after furnishing it. Ended up refinancing, getting all our cash back plus like 30 grand of equity that is now a line of credit that we have to use um, for future purchases. And what we did with that was we made it what we call an Airbnb super listing. So you have the, the main house as a listing and the apartment as a listing. So you have two separate listings, but then you can rent the whole property as one, you know, if it's a big wow. group or a big family. So that sleeps like 14 people altogether. So because of that, can really maximize the, the occupancy and also maximize the revenue generated because if, if just the, the main house is rented, we can still rent out the, the guest suite and get additional revenue. And then when the whole place is rented, you know, we have, you know, efficiency with a, um, I guess, a it's a little bit higher cleaning fee, but less than, than both of them together, more income. And then, you know, just usually, um, less management because it's one listing. So we've really found that out to work. And now the rest of our Airbnb properties are the same way. So they're all super listings so that we can, we know it's a model that, um, is proven by us doing it. And I've, I've never heard of anybody else doing it that way, but we just kind of stumbled into it because our first purchase was, was that way. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's, that's kind of what we found out is because we have those two extra rent, the two rentable units, um, on one property, both with Airbnb, that it, it really allows us to, you know, maximize the cash flow from those properties. Wow. That's, that's super unique. The, and, and kind of a bonus having those two areas that yeah. you can have two separate listings. So 
that, that's a pretty. We have deal. all of our, you know, cash out of all those properties now. We've since refinanced the the most recent one and got all of our um, rehab cash out. So we're basically at the at that you know perfect bird point, whatever you want to call it, when you have no money left in the deal. Yeah. Um, but with if you just have that, if you would have a single listing, like you'd still cash flow and it would be fine. But adding the adding that second unit. I mean, for for us, the the one unit we can like we can cash flow off of just one, but because of that, the second one is all added to cash flow because all the fixed expenses um, are covered by the one unit. Right, nice little bonus there. Yeah. So, I, and I know you just completed a Airbnb Burr deal. So, can can you kind of walk us through each step of the Burr from you know how do you find it and buy it all the way yep. to now the re, the refinance and the repeat. Yeah. So this, this is a project here in, in Panama city. Um, the one that we'll be talking about, it's a super listing. So it's got a main house and a detached apartment. And I first saw this property. It came up, I don't know, in March or April and didn't want to go forward with the purchase because it had a foundation issue and it kind of scared me off. I was like, Oh, I don't, you know, that, that might be too big of a project for me. Um, it turns out one of my friends here in Panama city, he's also, um, an agent. So we, we've done deals together, um, and looked at doing, doing other stuff together, but he had this under contract and he actually got it for, for lower than what I ran my numbers at. So he, he negotiated a good deal. And in, in the process of that, he got the bids for the foundation. He got the bids for the rehab and, um, he was going to recycle the funds from another sale that he was going to put into this deal because of COVID that sale fell out and he didn't want to just come out all out of pocket for this deal. So he calls me up. He's like, Hey, <laughs> this needs to close in a week. This is the situation. Can you do it? And I would I'd already, uh, analyzed the, the numbers and was familiar with the deal, but he told me the price he got it under contract at. And I was like, yeah, I can make that work. <laughs> so basically we, we close another week and like the next week, start the, uh, the rehab, um, I guess we'll back up to, to go to due diligence. So we're looking at this place and I get his, uh, his rehab bid and basically take that scope and then bid that out to some other contractors, find one that I'm comfortable with. Um, they're a GC, so they're going to manage the work. So I work full time as a, as an air force officer, so I can't, be on site every single day. So I pay a little bit more to have a GC, but it gives me the, you know, the freedom and the peace of mind to, to say they're going to manage the project and, right. and do everything right. Um, so looking at the numbers, why I decided to go at it, I kind of mentioned it. So I knew like just renting out the back unit, just like the smaller studio that would basically cover all the expenses to include like the taxes, insurance, mortgage, wow. all the way down to the Wi-Fi, utilities and electric, like just running that out. I knew that would cover that. So uh, by renting out both, basically the, the income from the, the main unit would be all um, cash flow, you know, minus the, uh, the management fees from that cleaning fees, of course. Um, so I looked at, it, I was like, this could be a really nice cash flowing property, probably in total be around a thousand dollars a month once it's rehabbed. And I looked at the numbers, the total purchase plus rehab plus hard money costs, because I use hard money on this deal, and holding costs, I was going to be all in around um, 165. And the value, 
I analyzed it looking at the uh, after repair value. I knew it was going to be worth about 220. So I got that spread, but I'm going to get a refinance on it, you know, thinking this is going to be a burr. So I'm going to get 80% of the value. So of that 220, I can take a loan for 80% of that. So there's like 176. So I'm thinking, okay, I got a 10 grand spread after all my costs. So I'm going to be able to pull out 10 grand. Well, we went over budget like 10 grand. <laughs> just, you know, I, I kind of added it in the budget, but I was like, you know, if this thing works, like I think, then I'll have some money left over, but we're still in, I think we're all in for like 175. Um, and that was with the closing costs on the, on the back end too. So we actually pulled out all of our money to include like the, the refinance closing costs. So we didn't have to come out of pocket at closing that paid back everything. So now we got a nicely renovated, property and that including the furnishing cost too. I forgot to add that. So we have a nice, nicely um, renovated property, fully furnished, ready to go. Now we list that on Airbnb, get both units rented. Uh, we just got done with our first like week guest. So it's already generating revenue and the, like the first mortgage payment isn't due to, to the middle of next month. So now we've, you know, got some, some room built in. So we're going to have, money generated to where we're never going to have to basically pay, pay the mortgage or anything on this and just keep it yeah, going. That's awesome. That's awesome. I hope so, that was all clear. That was, I yeah, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, all, well, all put together on a, on a recap this. Yeah, no, you're good. We're going to, we're going to kind of dive in to a little bit more specific. So when you first saw the property, besides the foundation issue, when you were walking the property, what, what needed renovation? Was it the kitchen? Was it the floors? And how did you analyze the cost for that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So when I saw this, so this was a hurricane Michael damaged home. So uh, 2018, the hurricane hit. This house had been vacant since then. So by the time I purchased purchased it, it was about a year and a half of sitting vacant. So there's definitely some issues there. Um, it was a fair size rehab project, but it wasn't it wasn't huge. What what really scared me at first was the foundation, but found a really good foundation contractor and and they handled that. And that was honestly the smoothest thing of the whole deal. They got that done in like two days. It was amazing. Oh, wow. Um, so looking at the house, both units, they have their, their, their detached. So both units needed new roofs. So that was about 2,100 square feet of new roofing. Uh, they had to replace, I think almost half the, the sheets under the roof. So that added a little bit to the cost, um, on the interior. Well, I guess on the exterior too, we did, uh, a pretty good landscape because it was overgrown for the last year and a half. Um, it had been mowed, but it, you know, just the trees and shrubs and bushes got out right. of hand. Um, the exterior, because the the house settled into the ground a little bit, which was the foundation issue. It was a block home, so it had separated along those cracks. So once they jacked the house back up, we restuccoed over those and then painted the outside too. So now it looks really good. New roof, new paint, new landscaping. So it looks like a new house. Um, on the inside, we redid all the electrical, uh, refinished the hardwood floors, which were uh, in pretty good shape and they look really good now. And then put um, luxury vinyl plank flooring in all the areas that didn't have hardwood. So that was with the uh, in the main house and the guest suite and then uh, fresh paint, some new appliances. And now this thing is, is looking good to go. Yeah. And, and did you have a general contractor or somebody else walking the property with you? Or how did you know that the electrical, the roof, how did you know that all these things needed to be redone 
and, and what to actually do to them? Yeah. So part of it was experience and part of it was getting like the scope from the other contractor. When I, when I took over the property from my friend, he'd already gotten this stuff bid out. So I knew walking in like what things to look for. Um, and when I got in there, I realized I noticed I had cloth wiring and down in Florida, well, really everywhere. They used to use cloth wiring in like the fifties and sixties. This home was built, I think 65. So older home. So I had the original wiring and I had another property here in Florida that was built, I think at the late sixties, early seventies had cloth wiring. Um, and it just produced all kinds of issues with insurance. It's more expensive to insure cloth wiring because it's a fire hazard. It's just, it's just old. It's not good wiring. It wasn't grounded. Um, so I noticed it was all, it was all two prong outlets. So there's no ground. So I knew as soon as I went in there, because I dealt with this before, I was like, well, we're going to have to redo the wiring. And, um, we added that on and walking through, I mean, the other things were visual, you know, is mostly cosmetic stuff. You know, you, you could see the crack in the foundation. You could see half the roofs off. Um, right. and then the, the hardwood floors, um, those are a thing, you know, we could have replaced them, but I mean, they were still in pretty good shape that that floor had held up and we, we had, we elected to sand that and restain it. And now it looks really good. It has that, you know, original feel to the house and then ties in with all the new things. I think it adds a really good look. Awesome. Awesome. So once you kind of bid out everything, you had all the scope of work done. Did you, was that, did you kind of hand that off to the, to the general contractors or how were you involved in the rehab process? Yeah. So building the scope of work, I, you know, just had like the note on my iPhone up and I'm just walking every room and saying, okay, this room's flooring, this room's paint. Um, and just going by the room of building everything out. And then when I met the contractor at the house, I'm doing the same thing with him, right? We're, we're walking through the house, talking about the scope and he's writing down notes as we're talking too. So after that meeting, um, I just typed all that out, sent him the scope. And since he'd seen it now, he, he knows, you know, kind of what all those things are. He bids based on that. And I did the same thing with the other contractor. So they are seeing it and talking about it. And then they get like the summary of line by line. Here's everything you have to fix. Now give me a price, your bid for, um, for the price of, of all these. And then, you know, you get to the total at the end. So that's how that works. Gotcha. And do you have a certain rule of thumb? I hear some people say something with how many contractors you should bid or how many electricians do you, do you have a certain number? Of how yeah, I would say I would say if you're starting out to get three bids and be wary of like the lowest one and the highest one. Not to say it's always always the middle bid, um, but it's just like I, so I do contracting for the Air Force, so we try to compete everything because competition drives down prices. So that's like number one rule. So try to get more bids, you know, tell the contractors, Hey, I'm, you know, walking this with some other guys to get, you know, in their mind, Hey, this is going to be competed. Right. Um, so that is kind of the, the number one thing is get multiple bids. For me, I had, I had two on this project. One was, um, from, the the contractor that worked with my friend, they'd already done projects together, had flipped homes, had rehabbed oh, homes. So he was pretty kind of set. And he does, he does probably like C to B class homes, you know, not high end homes in the best neighborhood, but like good looking homes in, in good neighborhoods. Um, so that's the kind of the work he does, which is what this property was. 
So just knowing him and his background, I felt pretty good about that bid. And then I brought in another contractor I had done work with before on previous burrs and kind of used those two. So because this was a, uh, a one week close, I had a low, a little bit of time for due diligence. So I just got two two guys I was comfortable with. And then I knew their, their prices wouldn't be ridiculous and then got their bids. Right. That, that, that's smart. And that, that track record, since you knew that, that definitely yeah. helped gain some credibility. Yeah. And I'll definitely say starting out, um, talk to get at least three bids, you know, three to five, three ideally, and talk to, talk to other investors, like find out, you know, you don't want to just call up like the first three contractors that you see when you type in Google, like contractors, my area, um, talk to other people who are doing it, find, find their recommendations. Like the best way to find good people is to find the other people they've worked with, because if somebody's good, they're going to let you know. And if they are bad, <laughs> they, they will tell you so fast, like do not work with this person. So, um, that's how I found both of these was through basically the referrals of other people. Gotcha. Awesome. So now the renovations completed, you refinance the property. Let's kind of talk about the specifics of Airbnb because that's super unique to a lot of people. And I don't honestly don't, I don't know too much about the inside workings about how, how you list it, how you keep the ratings up, kind of all the, all the backend Airbnb stuff. Can you kind of go into that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So me and my wife self-managed for a year. So we've you know read the books and then like AB split tested and, and feel pretty good about this stuff. But by no means are we experts. So there's definitely people that know more about the back end stuff because I'm more of an investor than like an Airbnb operator. Right. Um, but so like to get started, right, you just you basically just make a listing on Airbnb. It doesn't take that long to do it. I think it takes a little bit longer to really optimize it and put all the things in there that, you know, future potential guests want to see and that's going to stand out. Um, so you definitely want to get professional photos. Like you can tell so quickly the, the listings on Airbnb when you're going through the ones that have professional photos and the ones that don't. And the ones that do have professional photos book more, have more ratings and can charge higher per, per night because it looks better. Like, obviously you just, you want to, you want your place to look inviting from the pictures because guests are going to see that. Like, Oh, I want to go sit in that chair. Oh, I can't wait to lay in that bed. So that's super important. Um, and I guess really all that comes back is to how you decorate it. Like have a, have a cool theme. Like this newest one in our detached at this new house is it's called Palm paradise. So it's got little palm trees and greens and, um, little like plants and succulents all around. Like it looks really inviting. Um, and this one that we've been talking about was like Sailor's Cove. So there's like <laughs> sailor's ropes and nautical themes and pictures on the wall of like the sea and um, sailboats. So just, it looks just really inviting. Um, so, and that's a, that's a credit to my wife who's in the other room. She's, she's awesome at decorating and she, she does that part and she's who gets us the good guests. So I gotta give her the shout out. Um, but back to, you know, how you make the listing, get it up. So professional photos and, so you, you really want to op- optimize to your, to your guests in mind. So things I, I would do is like put bullet points in the, in the, in the description to say like, here's all your amenities. And it kind of just sticks out more than one big block of text. So it's just little things when they click on it, like Airbnb, you see your conversion rate as well. And it's usually really low because you get a lot of clicks as people just, just pass through. But the higher you can make that conversion rate, like when people land on your page, you want them to go from that to book. So kind of everything 
in mind is, is about that. So you just, you really want to be, um, all out there with everything you have to offer, but also manage expectations really well. Like if you, I don't know, live right off a busy street, you kind of want to mention that, like call out the negative, because if you don't, and people are like really surprised by it, they're going to leave the negative review and reviews are what drive Airbnb booking. So really you want to maximize your five-star reviews. Cause it's, if you don't get five stars, it's like, it's one star. <laughs> so four stars are no good. You got to get five stars. Um, and ways to do that. We used smart B for automated messaging. So we manage kind of guest ex- expectations and like review expectations right away. Like when they check out, it's like, Hey, thanks for leaving the place in great shape. You guys have been five star, five star guests. We look forward to leaving you a five star review, like playing off the reciprocity principles. And they'll be like, Oh, these guests were really good. Like they messaged us like before we checked in, they were checking on us before they checked out. They told us, thank you. We're going to give them thanks. Just kind of that whole thing. Um, and that's once we did that, once we implemented the smart BNB, like our five star bookings or five star reviews went way up. Like we didn't, we already, we were already at like a 4.9 average, but we stayed at like, we went to like 4.95, but had a much larger, um, percentage of our guests who stayed leave reviews. So that's really important. I think smart BNB is like one of the most important things because it takes all the guest management off of you as an Airbnb operator. And it's like, I think at the time for our three listings, it was like 18 bucks a month. So, oh wow, super, and that's just super a messaging cheap. service automated messaging yeah it's basically guest relations so you can like manage your um cleaners and calendar through there and basically all your all your messaging so when you have airbnbs i think the guest management is what takes the longest so you have people asking questions um you know what's the code to check in like you know what are the directions to the property you put all this in automatic messages that they go out at intervals before their stay starts like 24 hours or eight hours. And then after checkout, like 10 hours after checkout, Hey, leave a review. So you set up all these things to minimize the questions, to minimize your actual interaction, just an automation tool to, to make your life so much easier as an Airbnb operator. Right. That, that sounds like a super unique tool because, and also what you're saying before with the pictures, when, when the guests are looking at the property on Airbnb, the only thing that they can really base it off of is the pictures and reviews, you know, what, yeah. the, the reviews, right? Yep. So having those optimized pictures, I think that was a huge key because that's really all they can see. They can't come to the, can't really come to the property beforehand to look at it. And then the reviews, they want to know what other, what other guests thought about it. So that's a huge. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. And to that, to that point, cause I know the question started at, you know, how you set up the listing. So to get the most reviews, if you're going to start on Airbnb or vacation rental booking at all, I think a, a, a good pro tip that somebody taught me is start on one platform and to know that like 70% or more of bookers come through Airbnb or guests come through Airbnb, start with Airbnb, build up your reviews on that platform because then you're going to have, you're, you're basically going to optimize your revenue at that point because you have more guests coming in. Uh, because they're seeing those more reviews. Once you get super host status, people can search by that, you know, if they want to stay with the best hosts. So once we got super host status, again, we saw a, we saw a big bump. So start with Airbnb. And then at that point, if you want to um, maximize and spread out by going over like VRBO and uh, booking.com and those other sites do that then because you already have one platform, the biggest one that's built up. So I think that's a good tip. 
Right. That, that, that's great. And I know you, you mentioned about decorating the place and making it unique. And that, that, that was an awesome tip because I was thinking, I, I was literally imagining myself walking into just a normal house because at the end of the day, these Airbnbs are just our houses. But then mm-hmm. I was also thinking about walking into a cool theme and, and having that cool experience. So that was another cool tip because people who do Airbnbs, you know, typically, especially in, like you said, kind of a vacation market. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big key to stand out because most of them, yeah. like you're saying, are just going to be houses, right? It's just going to be people yeah. putting up their extra space or their house when they're not living there. But for us, like, and this come back, comes back to knowing your market. Like for us, we are in a, a beach market. So we have the beach that's 20 minutes away. Like what brings people here it's to go to the beach? <laughs> so we have Palm Paradise. We have Sailor's Cove. We have Beach Retreat, the one, the property with the pool. So all of these have their unique theme and decorations that go along with that and feed into it. So then you can market it as that. And then in the listing, they see, uh, Oh, this place is really cool. Look how, you know, look how beachy it is. Like we're going to the beach. This is going to be perfect. Or, you know, if people really like a, a sailor's theme, they're going to fit right into this one. Um, and then really, if you're, it, it doesn't have to be, if you're in a beach market, if you're in a um, Metro market, maybe you can pick out like pictures of, like subways and like sky skylines and, and stuff like that, and like cool lighting fixtures and stuff like that. Right. But if you're in like the Rocky mountains or in the smoky mountains and one of those vacation rentals, maybe it's a, a wood cabin theme or like a hunting theme, you know, to, to really cater into the kind of guests that are coming to your market because in a vacation rental market, there's something that's drawing people there for vacation. So feed into that. It's already, it's basically already set up for you. You just got to go the extra step. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Kind of just making it unique to wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you guys leave anything inside the, the rental, like a, a, a book? Because from my experience staying at Airbnbs, I've seen some people leave a book where you can write down, like all the guests write down their name and how their stay was. Sometimes people have picture walls. Do you guys do anything like that? Yeah. So in our first three, we do this one these last two, we just got up and kind of getting through the rehab. Uh, we don't <laughs> have the most, yeah. but yeah. So in those, I don't know how big of a, you know, once people book, that's what you want to drive people is to, to book. Cause that's where your revenue is going to come from. But once they're there, yeah, you want to make them feel at home. So we have that, that guest book. We also have like the binder with um, all of the local amenities, you know, our favorite restaurants, you know, it says Blake and Nicole's favorite spots to go check out while you're here. Um, and then, yeah, that guest book where they can talk about their stay and then they open that up and say, Oh, it was a great stay. Like, Oh, love the place. Oh, this candle smells amazing. (laughs) One one person asked to buy us a candle and I was like, you can just, just take it. Like we'll get another one. that's like three bucks. So, um, just little things like, yeah, like that to make you stand out because the more things you can do and, and we like fold the towels on the bed too, and put like a little, um, chocolate on the towels on the bed for when guests show up. It's just like the little things that can make you stand out. That's going to, you know, take it from a four star to a five star review to where they leave it. And that's going to help you get more guests. Right. And elevate their excitement. Everyone loves walking into a room with a little chocolate on their bed and a few, a few few cents, maybe a dollar to get that all done. So that's exactly. Yep. Yep. And the cleaners do that for you. You don't, you don't have to do (laughs) that. It just happens. (laughs) Right. Right. So, as far as the time commitment goes, obviously after the renovations and buying the property, the actual management of the property, how, how involved are you? How much time out of your day or week or month does, 
do, do, does the Airbnb properties take of your time? So we had three before and my wife and I were doing it ourselves um, other than cleaning. So we had cleaners that would do it. And for the longest time, we just had one that was in our house. We would just clean that ourselves. So we'd have a $50 cleaning fee and just do it ourselves. So we're making $50 for our hour to go clean it. So um, every time, like, I was like, man, I don't want to clean it. It's like, well, we're making $50 an hour. So let's go do it. Um, but once we got three, uh, my wife got in the clinical, she's getting her doctorate right now. So we were both gone all day. So got cleaners on everything. This is about the time we got smart B and B, uh, to just help streamline and automate everything to get more of our time back. And then it really became just answering questions as they would come up because all the, all the automation tools, all the automated messages went out. So now it was just like, Hey, I can't find this or that they'd message and the automation tool will screen it. Is it, is it something that we can easily answer that is already automated? And if not, it would get through and come to me. So I'd, I'd answer little things. Um, so when we had three, I would spend maybe an hour and a half or two hours a week just managing guests or, you know, run to the property to, to take supplies, stuff like that. So not very much time. Um, but now that we have seven, I knew that was going to at least double. And then the property runs would become more and it would just, it would just extrapolate out. So that's when we went to property management and now I don't know, I just manage the manager. Yeah. So, 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 and what, what do you actually do to manage the manager? Is that just kind of a communication thing? Um, yeah. So yeah, basically just goes through the communication. Like for, for an example, yesterday we had the AC go out. Well, it didn't really go out. It was off for like two days and the guest came in and turned it on. It wasn't getting cold right away. Oh. Cause it's like 700 or more square footage of space to fill up with air with cold air. So we, and this was late at night. So we just refunded him the night and I had to coordinate this. And this was actually at the, the one at our house. So I met him in person. I was like, Hey, we'll refund you. No big deal. He, he's still going to stay the other, what, four nights of his reservation. He just didn't want to sleep in a hot box. So I don't blame him. So I had to coordinate that and get the AC guy to come look at it. So really not very much of my time, but it's just things like that when they come up. Right. And what's a typical management fee that someone expects? Is it per, is it a percentage of the income or, or how is that calculated for Airbnbs? Yeah. So normally it's a percentage of gross revenue and in vacation rental markets, it's, it's usually like anywhere from 20 to 25% of gross revenue oh, wow. collected. Um, but for me, I got a company that they don't have people on the ground. They basically do everything uh, from a distance and manage people just using technology and all the, all the different yeah. systems available now online. So they have a tier at 15% where they manage all the guests and everything. The only thing I have to coordinate is like repairs to get the uh, contractors or handyman in and for little stuff. And for now, I think that's probably fine. Maybe I go up to the next tier because you know, with that AC thing, it was like Saturday night and I was like, man, I don't have to deal with this. Like, I wish yeah. they would just handle it. Um, so I, I probably will go up to that tier to 20%, but they also give me a 1% discount per property up to two. Oh, so okay. not right. Currently I'm at 13% and I think it's going to be worth it to pay that extra five just to, to really be hands off and then handle just about everything. Right. And does that include the cleaning fee as well or the cleaning, uh, clean, um, the cleaning fee is separate, 
but uh, the, the management fee is not calculated off the inclusion of the cleaning fee. So okay. basically the, the per night income is what the management fee is calculated off of. The cleaning fee is separate and the cleaning fee is paid by the guests. So the cleaning fee okay. doesn't come out of the gross revenue essentially. And who coordinates the, the cleaners to come in? That is all the, all the property manager. Okay. So, so they're kind of in, they're in control of that as well. Yeah. And beforehand, so if somebody's just going to start out with this, you can, you can manage a cleaner with, with one of those software systems like smart BNB to where every time a booking happens, it sends a message to your cleaner. They know if somebody changes a booking, sends a message and they can always see the calendar to, to be able to plan. So you don't have to start out with property management. I think it's actually pretty easy to manage yourself when you get started with only one property. Um, but, but for us with seven, like we absolutely need property managers just because the, the time involved would be too much, but also like the numbers still work with, with property management. So if you really want to be passive, but get the better returns, then yeah, find a manager and, and they'll do all that for you. Right. Right. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to add? I'm sure we can talk about this for days, but any, any last things you want to leave the listeners about Airbnbs, um, anything pertaining to that? I would definitely say like, learn, learn the strategy be, before you go and do it, because there's a lot to optimizing your listing to get the guests, to get the reviews, to get the revenue. So when we just started out, um, we were covering all of our living expenses. So we were living for free. Um, but that was all just like sheer luck with the numbers of the market. So your market might not be like mine down here in Panama city. So you're going to be a lot better off if you, you know, I didn't read like an Airbnb book about like operating until we were like six months in. I was like, you know what? I bet we could do better. And then we like increased by like 30 or 40%. I was like, man, if we would have just done this from the beginning, we would have made a lot more money and yeah. had a lot less headaches. Um, so I just say like, read the books, optimize your, optimize your BNB by, um, I forget his name, but the, that book is a really good one. Um, and there's a few others out there like on Amazon. If you just Google like Airbnb books, there's some good ones. Awesome. Gotcha. Cool. So we're now going to move on to the next section of our show, which is the big four where we ask all of our guests, the same four questions. So Blake, number one, what's your number one habit for success? I would say my number one habit for success is accountability. So every week I'm in two mastermind groups and every week I meet Monday with one and Friday with the other. And we talk about weekly goals, monthly goals, and everything's like a, a step back. And even myself, like I'm, I'm writing out, you know, my goals for, for each week, like the three most important things and each day, like trying to knock off the most important next step towards getting those. So accountability meeting with those people and they will they'll get on your ass if you don't accomplish your stuff so that that aspect of it is really good so i would say if i didn't you know have people hold me holding me accountable and like having those systems to hold myself accountable i'd probably drop the ball on a lot more things <laughs> I'm very detail oriented so that, that's that's a huge one for me right okay awesome accountability is a great one number two limiting beliefs are thoughts in our heads that hold us back from realizing our potential what is one limiting belief that you were able to crush and how did that impact your life? Mm. I think a big limiting belief I've had is self-doubt. So things like I'm not good enough or people won't want to invest with me. I think all these were like unfounded, just self, self-deprecating self thoughts that once I pushed through, like the possibilities opened up. So thought for a long time that I had to prove more, or like do more or 
all these thoughts and uh, just kind of had to build my confidence a little bit and, and go out and get after it. So don't right. let yourself hold yourself back. <laughs> just a quick follow-up. Were there any key things you did, books you read, people you talked to, podcasts you listened to, anything that helped you get over that self-doubt? I think it was just an accumulation of a lot of different things, like reading the, reading the books, building, building my knowledge, continuing to listen to podcasts every day, driving to and from work, like just constantly learning. And then actually like having and, and seeing that progress in my own life and portfolio, like going from zero to 11 units in, um, in just a year. And, and all those are like fix, fix and flip, pro- well, not fix and flip, but all bare properties, you know, we're, they're big projects, especially these, these last two or three have been. Um, so just, just getting through doing the steps and just making the, the actual progress kind of gave me the confidence to get over that, over the self deprecating thoughts. Right. Right. Awesome. And number three, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to invest actively or passively in real estate for their first time? Mm, for your first time, I think you got to know your goals. So if you don't know where you're going, it's going to be hard to get there. I think too many people think they have to drive the returns themselves. But if you have the cash, you can invest passively and get all the perks of real estate investing. And if you have no cash, you can trade your time and hustle and provide that to somebody else and kind of, you know, somebody else that's doing what you want to do or is already where you want to be. Um, you can, you can learn from them. So like, I'm just thinking like if I found someone myself to go do like all those maintenance runs and tasks that I didn't want to do, I would absolutely cut them on a deal or, or help them get a deal or whatever it was. Um, but if you want to build your empire um, and, and grind deal to deal by trading your time, you can absolutely do that. So I'd say if you want to be passive, that's okay. Right? Like there's too many thing, too many people out there like, Oh, you can build a million dollars. But if you just want to like supplement your lifestyle or your, your retirement, your income, whatever, like passive investing is a, a great thing to do. And then, you know, if you don't have the cash, go trade your time and, and get after it. So I'd, I'd say it all starts with knowing your goals. Right. That, that, that's, a, that's a great, great piece of advice. And number four, what is your favorite real estate business or personal development related book? Ooh, um, favorite real estate book for starting out is the book on rental property investing by Brandon Turner, the blue one. That was a really good one to, to learn the basics. And then with what I do in multifamily, I think multifamily millions by Dave Lindahl is a really good one just to, you know, show the, the efficiency and the scalability of, of multifamily and get in that asset class. And then personal development book. I'm reading one right now called atomic habits and that's making me it's like one of those books that just makes me or makes you think differently when you read it. So I like that one right now too. Awesome. Yeah. I've heard a lot about atomic habits. That's, that's on my list. Yep. And, and where can listeners get a hold of you, Blake? So yeah, you can get a hold of me on uh, my website, multifamilyjourney.com. I have a link to my calendar. People can book time to talk. It's completely free. I just like connecting with people and, and providing value where I can. Um, and my email is also up there as well. So multifamilyjourney.com. Cool. And I know you just launched your own podcast. If you want to give that a little plug. Yeah, I did. So that's uh, it's called the multifamily journey podcast. It's all about basically uh, a look into, to what I've done over the past year and scaling to multifamily and, and giving those, you know, transparent tips and ticks, tips and tricks of behind the scenes of how to grow and scale and interview, um, successful multifamily guys and gals that have done it, have, you know, given, given their, 
their tips and, and how they've done it. So, um, I've, I've really been enjoying that. I think there's a lot of just a ton of freaking good content coming out of that. And then you can find that on, on multifamilyjourney.com too, or just search the multifamily journey podcast on Apple podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to it. Cool. Awesome. Well, Blake, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge about Airbnb, birth strategy, the combination of both. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I think this is a, a good topic. Airbnb can open up a lot of doors for you. There's, there's some different things to learn for sure, but it's a great supplement um, to real estate. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing Made Simple podcast. For more resources or to connect with us further, please visit our website, www.baileykramer.com. We'll see you next time.